welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. Today is Wednesday, May 12th, 2021, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama, joined by Dr. Rick. And today we are also joined by Aaron Williams, who helps oversee Lifeline's new program called Heritage Builders. And we're excited to be able to talk to Erin today to just hear about how the Lord has worked in her heart for the, the start of Heritage Builders, which very specifically is a program to help kids that are aging out of the foster care system. And, and as we will hear in just a minute, so many of our youth that end up in foster care uh, don't find permanence through adoption. Uh, they aren't reunified. They're actually aging out of the system. And this is a big deal as many of those that age out of our foster care system are ending up incarcerated or ending up in other types of physical and spiritual and social poverty. And so as uh, as a ministry called according to the purpose of, of, of the gospel, we want to make sure that we're meeting these kids where they are as they're aging out with the hope of the resources uh, of the gospel, with discipleship, with, with mentoring opportunities, and ultimately with opportunities that can help them for their future. But before we start this important conversation, I want to remind you about our resource pages. Uh, we have hundreds of helpful articles, activity ideas, and other materials on our resource page. The topics in covered uh, include adoption and attachment, uh, needs for siblings, medical needs, children's behavioral challenges, birth parents, how to address grief and trauma, how to disciple children from hard places, and so much more. If you're interested in tapping into any of these resources, you can always go to lifelinechild.org backslash resources. Again, that's lifelinechild.org backslash resources, or see our show notes for more details. And then I also want to remind you, as always, about our Vessels of Hope program, and you too can become a monthly giver of Lifeline to support the resource development on the resource page, to support our podcast, to support the work that we're doing around the world through global orphan care and adoption and birth mother services, and to support the work that's going on through programs like Heritage Builders. So Dr. Rick, so grateful uh, to be on here with you again this week. And I know that we are both very excited to hear from Aaron. And I know for both of us, this is a, this is a place where we felt like the Lord has been leading us in a long time to figure out how to equip the local church to care for children that are aging out of foster care. And so if you would, I, I'd just love to, to hear you introduce Aaron and, and yeah. start us off. Well, you know, Herbie, you're right. I mean, we, this is something that we've, you know, we've really talked about and prayed about for a long time. And um, I'm just blown away with the way the Lord provides for us and the way the Lord brings the right people at the right time. Um, and Aaron, you are certainly part of, of that story. Um, and so just want to quickly introduce you to our listeners. Aaron Williams um, came to us uh, as a as a wife and a mom, but also as uh, as an executive um, with a great career experience in um, in Children's Hospital here uh, in our area, and um, and and really brought someone of great accomplishment with uh, with an incredible calling 
And so, Aaron, we just are glad to have you. We're glad you're a part of our team, but uh, we're also excited to be able to just have a conversation with you today. So welcome. Thank you both so much. Um, it is my honor to be part of this um, this new ministry arm and helping create it and um, create a vision uh, for us to uh, walk out and to engage the church in um, reaching these youth at such a, a crucial time in their lives. So thank you both Her Herbie and Dr. Rick. Thank you. Erin, it's been really fun to, to get to know you over this process and just to hear a little bit about the journey that um, God has had you on to bring you to this place. And, and so I'd really love it if we could just kind of walk through that and, and sort of unpack that um, for the folks that are listening, because I think that really does kind of bring a little bit of the heart and a little bit of the essence of heritage builders and, and you know, what we see the Lord trying to accomplish through this ministry. It's really kind of tied up even in the story of, you know, of you getting here. So how did you, how did you really first become aware of the needs of kids in the foster care system, particularly those that are, that are aging out? Well, it's really kind of an uncommon start, um, uh, to be real honest. I, I have to say this is really a doing, um, an action, a, um, just kind of a revealing from the Lord. Um, I can really only explain it that way. It's not something that I had dreamed I would ever pursue. Um, in fact, because I don't necessarily cross paths with youth who are in foster care in my daily routine um, and in my setting, um, when I heard of a need, I was able, and this is not something I'm proud of, hear me say that, but I was able to really compartmentalize um, that need and move on with kind of the strains and the joys of my own life. Um, we do have four children and kind of in the in middle of raising them. Um, but, you know, it has served as a reminder once God really um, wouldn't let go of my heart um, and, and really breaking it over um, these children that he calls his own and loves as deeply as you or me. Um, and it just serves as kind of this ongoing warning of my human tendency to be, you know, self kind of contained and self-preserved. Um, so I just feel so grateful for God's patience and kindness to keep reaching out to us and, and keep being willing to use us in the um, great redeeming work that he is doing of all his people. Um, but uh, it was really not a sermon or kind of a light bulb moment. Um, all, I, all I know is that one day um, it didn't impact me. And then the next day I couldn't stop thinking about it. And, and I really, I felt like God had been um, preparing me to be able to not squash something that was so unfamiliar and that was so challenging. Um, finally let that kind of settle and, and be okay with that and feeling uncomfortable. Um, and I was, you know, he really gave me the eyes of compassion to look into the plight of these children living in the, in the foster care system. So, and it's really a stark contrast. I think my family and I are still reeling with, um, you know, how this is working its way out. And um, I, I will say that it drove me to my knees in prayer. Um, 
very consistently and I spent time praying about children in foster care here in Alabama. I was able to find specific names through Heart Gallery. Um, I prayed for orphans around the world. I prayed for the church's response and responsibility in this. I prayed for laborers to be sent into God's harvest. Um, and then I prayed specifically, what would God call me to do as a tangible step? Um, it was a very arduous process. Um, and there was a lot of waiting and a lot of mourning, um, over the condition that I knew these children were in, um, the realities that they faced. Um, and you know, it can be so difficult when we feel like we have a calling on our lives from the Lord and then we had to sit and wait, you know? And so I think that was, but that was part of what I needed in order to, um, provide this timing. Little did I know that the Lord was working in lifelines, um, you know, in their minds and hearts and yours to to ready us to to align and come together at his at his timing. That's really awesome. You know, I think and I think a lot of the folks that are listening to the podcast can identify with your story. I think there are a lot of us that have a similar story that. Um, a lot of these things were not on our radar necessarily. They were things that were not, you know, we, we hadn't heard a lot of sermons. We hadn't been a part of a lot of Bible studies and we hadn't really probably had a lot of experiences that, that set us up for that. But, but we can testify to those moments where um, God caused us to see something and then you can't unsee it and you start to kind of see it everywhere. Um, and, and so that's, um, that's awesome. Well, um, so as you know, part of the rest of the story is um, in, in thinking about, you know, even where you would go or what you would do in, in with this ministry calling, with this burden that God had given you. Um, I remember you talking about a, a Bible study that your father taught um, that was really impactful for you and how the Lord kind of used that to really specifically orient you and just love for you to just kind of tell that little tidbit. Yeah, it's, um, it is very special and dear to me and it serves as a way to see my father's legacy continue. So thank you for um, being willing to listen to that, this tie-in for me. Um, in August of 2019, um, there was a Sunday when my father felt strong enough to teach a Sunday school lesson. And as for as long as I could remember, my parents have taught young married or their peers, um, adults in some way. Um, but he was strong enough because he had been battling a uh, stage four melanoma for nine and a half years, which was really um, a pretty special thing in and of itself um, that he had done so well. Um, and, you know, really, Rick, I was not convinced that we should go hear him. Um, I didn't feel an urgency, but my husband, Jason, did. And he pretty much insisted that we that we go together. Um, and I the richness that has come from being there um, um, continues um, to just fill my life. So he taught on Nehemiah one. Um, and this is when Nehemiah became aware that God's people were scattered and there was reproach upon the people. They were marked by it. Um, they really had no place to call home or to gather to worship and that Jerusalem's walls were in ruins. They were crumbling and in desperate need of repair. Um, my father was a psychologist uh, in private practice for 38 years, um, and he helped many couples and families through those, those years. 
And his title for the book of Nehemiah was The Rebuilder of Walls, The Rebuilder of Lives. Um, and the concept of rebuilding is what it did. In rebuilding the walls, it gave hope and vitality back to the people of God. And so the application of that lesson seemed so natural as we started creating a framework through which the church could be empowered and then support youth in foster care who would be aging out to face the world on their own. Um, as you know, the teenage years can be such a critical point. Um, and so, it, it, again, it just helped bridge and provide a structure by which I could think about um, um, speaking into lives, meeting um, a need, filling a gap, um, and then um, being able to help provide a platform, a foundation from which these youth can look towards their futures and, and envision hope and have some promise on the horizon. Um, and um, just one neat fact in here is that there's all kind of research that speaks to a biological window of opportunity that occurs between the ages of 15 and 24. And there's this opportunity to pave new pathways in the brain so that healing from past trauma can begin. And then healthy preparation can occur that will contribute to these to the future. Um, so anyway, that was more of, of how the lesson that my father taught in that moment that I had no idea what the topic, what the book, what the what the theme would be and how, again, it just has, has brought such a um passion and framework to how we are thinking through this ministry arm at Lifeline. And Herbie, that really kind of dovetails with what the Lord's been doing here for a long time through Unadopted and, and some of the things that we've seen happen internationally. And, and so um, I know, you know, as, as you and I and others here have been praying for a long time about what we would do and and how we might move forward on a domestic front with kids that are aging out, that there was, there was very much that same heart that was, you know, that was in play. And this was just kind of the right time. Yeah. And I think, as you said, Dr. Rick, you know, we've been praying for years about in a sense, what we were calling, how would we care for the same population that we've been caring for since 2009 internationally, yeah. that aging out orphan, that aging out uh, child that, that really has no hope and future ahead of them physically, spiritually, socially. How do, how do we get the church to wrap around them that we really looked back and said, wait, we're not doing what we've been doing internationally very well here at home. Um, those kids that kind of slip through the cracks of permanence, uh, that, that they are the ones that the statistics are made of. I hate to say it, mm -hmm. but the statistics that you see are made of these kids that slip through those cracks. And we've got to engage the church here to care for those kids. And, and I know the way that you and I have said it before in other places, and, and, and certainly I've said this before, is it's, it's not all the time too hard for us to, to get someone to, to be moved to help a four-year-old that is lost and hurting and has no way and has no home. You know, you, you think of a four-year-old and, and most people are going to say, well, I've got a bed, I've got a home, I'd love to bring that child in. But that same four-year-old, give them 12, 16 years and they're 18 or they're 20. If they've not had any intervention, they're just as helpless and hopeless as that four-year-old. But in our culture, we look down upon them and we think, well, well, but 
They just need to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps or they just need to get their act together. And the truth of the matter is if they've never had any intervention, if they've never had anyone hold, holding their arms up and teaching them and leading them, then they're really at a, at a hard place. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the realities that we've kind of wrestled in and, and Aaron, I'd love for you to unpack this a little bit and with some kind of some specificity, but, but I think what we've realized over time is that, that we, we understand well the outcomes for kids um, around the globe that are aging out of care systems and, and, you know, aging and, and moving into independence. And, and so, but really the outcomes are not especially different for kids that are here in the U S and we see the same kind of um, same kind of numbers, same kind of percentages, same kind of behaviors that are, you know, that are things that they're susceptible to. And so Aaron, like what is the reality for kids that are aging out of the system? Well, I think we have to first start with kind of a building block, um, understanding, you know, if a child is in the foster care system, what has placed them in that foster care system? And so um, when we think about really all over the world, that those um, reasons would look like abuse, all types of abuse, um, mm-hmm. neglect, um, and, and the child really does not have much say so um, um, as part of that decision and placing them in the foster care system. And so there are just several layers of rejection and hurt um, physically, uh, you know, Herbie talked about that emotionally, mentally, we know that 85% of children in the foster care system struggle with mental health issues. And I think we can easily trace that back as to why that is. Also, you um, may know, but children um, struggle with um, PTSD, two times the rate of U.S. war veterans. Um, it's not surprising, but it it is a that's a tragic thing. You know, that's a significant marker in their lives. So, I think it's good for us to to let our hearts hurt. And, and to pause a moment and, and to consider a real tragedy um, mm. at this point before we look at what becomes of children who remain in the foster care system. And, you know, there is research that supports that not only does the trauma that drives them into the system, but also actually remaining and lingering in the foster care system um, is a considered a unique trauma of itself. And that is explained by the instability um, of, of being removed and moved and placed and replaced and resituated and rehomed and, and many times toggling back and forth between a foster home and the, the birth parents home and, and that type of thing. So within the system itself, the children um, wrestle with um, a lot of loss is each time they take a new, go into a new family, they grieve the loss of, of whom they've left. Um, and so, uh, again, just to be mindful and to let that mm, echo a little bit um, before we look at some of the outcomes. And the outcomes are really despairing. And again, we can understand why. But um, for those who age out or emancipate from the foster care system, and, and that 
can be anywhere from really ages 18 to 21, depending upon the state's um, limits, but also it can depend upon when the youth decides to go out on his or her own. Um, and those who do experience homelessness, a good 25% within the first two years. Um, and that really does not account for the couch surfing and the staying with maybe a, a non-safe individual. That's just truly who are on the streets. So that's a little, that's a hard stat to capture. Um, we do know that women are pregnant by age 21, 60% at a 60% rate. Um, and those are really the unwanted pregnancies. Um, so that is an account for those who, who are pregnant but choose to move forward. Um, and then 25% um, are involved in the juvenile justice system within two years of emancipation. You know, we look at drugs, we look at incarceration, we, um, we look at that. But what I'd like to emphasize, because I think it's possibly the most tragic and that really almost kind of an angering um, reality personally for me that youth face when they age out is that they really become the foremost targets of human traffickers. And um, the statistic that will help us understand that is that 60 up to 90%, so 60 to 90% of the children trafficked, whether that's for labor, sex, any type of human trafficking, they have a pass with the child welfare system. Mm. Wow. I mean, that's that's staggering. And we can see, you know, there are so many so many reasons that lead to this. We know that they that the students have lower levels of literacy. We know that they're ill prepared to live independently. And and really, honestly, most of the time they don't even have a way to meet their basic needs. And so they're easily prone or susceptible to those being met um, by someone they don't know. And, and then used in return. So, and these exploiters on top of that are deliberate. You know, they, they seek out and they know the weak, they know their vulnerability, um, and they know that, that, that they are at a point where they have these basic necessities like housing and food and transportation that need to be met. So we, we kind of, I mean, we understand the, the vulnerabilities. We understand the the, the pervasive percentages of, you know, kids that are, that are experiencing these outcomes. How many, how many kids a year is that, that are, that are aging out from the foster care system? So here in the United States, around 20,000 children age out per year. And, you know, right when I feel like that is um, kind of an unbearable and an overwhelming number, um, you know, we believe in the one true living God and he is sovereign over all of this. And we are called to be faithful to what he calls us to do, what he reveals us to do, where he connects us. Um, and then we've got to trust him. And, you know, I would go back to what I said at the very beginning of that. If God brings something new that is unfamiliar and you think, goodness, I could have never dreamed this up or this is too overwhelming begin by earnestly praying. And that really links back to Nehemiah too. That's all he could do for four months was to pray and to fast and to mourn over the condition that he had heard of and been made aware of. So um, 
don't don't put it out of your mind. Let it resonate. Let it sit there and really pray earnestly. Of, you know, if this truly is a call, and I think some of that does take some time to figure those out. So, um, but we trust the one true living God, and um, I'm just so grateful that um, He's got a plan for the one, for the one person, the one child, the one youth at a time. Mm-hmm. And I think you know. Herbie, we talk about that all the time of, of the idea that sometimes the scope is, is just so overwhelming. And, and the, and the truth is that many times God gives us the responsibility, not for, not for the entirety, not for everyone, but for the one, like the, there's a, there's a very specific calling. And I mean, that's even part of the, you know, the beginning story of unadopted and kind of what has, shaped this journey for us a lot over the course of the last, um, you know, decade or more. And, and so, um, there's a real, there, there's a real tie in there, I think, to where we've been, but where we feel like the Lord's calling us to go. Yeah. And I think we can never discount as we're saying, I mean, just to say it again, we can never discount the the life of one child and the intervention that we can have with one. And I think we can get so bogged down with the need. It's important that we know the need so we know that why we need to respond. But it's also important that we look at what's in front of us and know how we can make a difference in our own sphere of influence and how the Lord's called us to, to take a step. And so, you know, I, I think in all of this, even with Heritage Builders, we aren't asking churches to go try to tackle all of the aging out in their county or in their state or, or in their country uh, we're asking one church to look right in front of them and say, what could we do for one child to start with that's aging out? How could we wrap around one kid, one, one, one child and, and help them see something that's, that's bigger than ourselves? And so I think it's how do we take that first step? How does it inform the way we pray? How does it form the way we give and we go and we act? And, and so I hope that even as Aaron says that we can sit in the weight of these statistics, but not also yet be debilitized by the weight of these statistics, but we can start to, to, to hone that down to what's the, what's the one next move we can make as a church and as a family and as, as people called according to the purpose of God. Absolutely. And, you know, and I think there, there is a, there's a sense in all of this that, um, the and, and Aaron, you alert, alluded to it earlier, just the impermanence of the foster care system um, with kids in and out of placements and, and so much transition in life that um, that part of part of the need here is just its stability, its consistency, its presence, um, and that the church really ultimately can step in and stand in the gap in that need. Um, and, and so what are some of the ways that, that the church practically can act on behalf of, of one child who's moving toward aging out and, and be that sort of sense of, of stability and that, that kind of extension of family to them? Yeah, well, um, you know, the church is, I believe, is just full of Christ followers who are eager to follow his command um, to love God and to love one another. And as you said, either can be kind of caught in that, gosh, I don't know what steps to take. I don't know how, I don't know the how to, or it's just too much. And so there has been so much intentional thought and consideration as we have developed heritage builders 
to specifically design it to provide church members kind of this range of options to care for older children in foster care. Um, and this allows um, church members to choose, you know, which action steps that really suits where they're coming from, their life stage. Um, I mentioned earlier when I was raising four children, I may have not had the capacity to do a certain level, but um, I do believe that each of the components that we have come up with um, is, um, you know, just a real way to, um, to meet a need and to help prepare these youth for their futures. So um, the first one and the most involved would be an advocate. And that would look like a one-on-one -on -one relationship with a youth. And Rick, you mentioned um, this caring, this nurturing, this consistent relationship. And you are right on. I mean, research time and time again talks about how, you know, we talked about that brain, the brain pathways that can be altered. And so some of that trauma can really can be blurred out and um, lessened. And then also these new ways to see the world and um, by being around folks who can model, um, you know, a, a health and their relationships and expectations and decision making. Um, so time really spent together. And that doesn't have to look like anything fancy. That's the amazing part It's really just sharing consistently being each other's presence, um, you know, that it's a nurturing and it's a trustworthy connection um, and that you just share these new experiences together. And that's where that healing and that preparation comes from really biologically in the brain. So there is the advocacy role. And then secondly, there is training on life readiness skills. And this is really where I see that connection with what we've learned from unadopted with their LSAT, um, because it is working with the youth um, to just give them practical ways when they are independent and they are trying to sustain, you know, a, a livelihood of how to do that, and how to do it well. Um, many times um, youth have not learned from a parent, um, have not learned just basic ways of thinking and planning like um, money management, budgeting, um, meal preparation, um, even how to clean and how to um, have good hygiene, um, you know, and so, and even like with risk prevention, like this trafficking and then safety measures and good conversation pieces and all that. So there is a need for those in the church that have a comfortability and a knowledge of one of these areas to go and spend a couple of hours of facilitating a group discussion. And it's not a lecture. It's going to be these practical hands-on experiences where they can, they can learn and that they can practice what this will look like in real life. Um, and then lastly, we feel like if we leave them there, we have we have not done um, our full diligence in helping them connect to resources. Um, they're going to help help them sustain a life on their own. And so that would look like vocational training. Um, and again, these are connections too. This is not someone supplying. This is knowing of and then and then showing them, leading them, introducing them to this resource. Um, so vocational training, um, post-secondary education, scholarships, um, it would look like transportation, um, health insurance, 
um, housing at an affordable rate and understanding maybe some of the issues that they may have with um, signing a, a lease or trying to find a roommate or just these mm-hmm. um, things that we take so for granted that the rest that you and I have had really um, just taught to us and, and it's easy to take for granted. So um, helping um, these students navigate, navigate those and then connecting them. So, you know, with May being national foster care month, I, I think part of the, part of the tie-in here is, is just realizing that there are, there are some really tangible, practical things that, that we as the church can do to step in to support kids that don't have the, the backstop of family that, that they're, because, you know, as you, as you listed all of those things, I mean, honestly, um, most of us would testify to the fact that we're, where we learned how to negotiate those things were, was in the context of family and, and where we found support when we were failing in negotiating some of those things was having the stability and the foundation of family behind us. Um, and, and so the, the church really then becomes the vehicle to, to be able to, you know, step in and do that. And for us to collectively be able to, you know, stand up and and stand forth for these kids. Um, so Aaron, if, um, if there are folks that are out there that are listening to us and they, they want to connect and want to know more about heritage builders, what's, what's the best way for them to, um, connect with you and to, um, to continue that conversation? Well, um, you are free to email me at, um, to email me at Lifeline or to call the main number and they can certainly direct, um, you know, you to me. And I would love to learn about your interests, about what God is, um, possibly just stirring within your heart and to encourage you and, and, and join you in prayer. And then let's figure out as we're beginning to unroll this and, and test these means. Um, and we want to be open to learning. We actually got to spend some time talking to some ambassadors um, that are currently in the foster care system because we feel so um, uh, it's crucial to involve their input. And so um, would love to share, would love to hear your insight and then figure out what that would look like and how we could work through the church. Um, yeah. To connect with these youth. And um, you know, really the church is and always has been God's answer mm-hmm. um, to the ones who are marginalized and cast out by society. Um, you know, we can trace back the Old Testament that God instituted laws and rules for the Israelites, you know, that outlined how to look for the weak and the abused and the oppressed. Mm-hmm. And um, I just think about how they were commanded to leave the edges of their fields, um, you know, for those to come and gather for their own sustenance. And so um, we see that carried through the New Testament about loving one another. And um, so I just know that that includes all of us as Christ followers to think about um, creating these margins within our lives to see how God is going to call us. And there's so much need in the world. Um, so just let your heart be um, soft and receptive and be in prayer and, and God will do his thing. You know, he is accomplishing his work and we can be confident in that. And so I'm grateful to be here and um, 
you know, to help create this, this new way to connect with these youth in such a vulnerable time and crucial and really can be exciting time of their lives. Aaron, we're just so grateful and delighted for all that the Lord is doing. And as Aaron has stated and Dr. Rick has stated, we would love to get and to onboard you and your church to get engaged with Heritage Builders. And really one of the first places that I would like to encourage is for men to get engaged and to step up. You know, I think so many times we delegate this, but to, uh, to the women to take the first step, but I would just like love to encourage men to take the first step because many of these that are aging out are young men who have never had anyone model leadership and what it means to, to have a safe and a biblical masculinity that we need to demonstrate uh, for these children and for these, these young people that are aging out. And really for all of us, not only is there a gospel implication, but there is a social implication as we love on really these kids that are going to make the backbone of our future. And, you know, one of the, the many things that we've had the opportunity to work in and I've had the opportunity to see over my time at Lifeline is to see how many of our incarcerated spent time in U.S. foster care. And what a great opportunity for us to, to get uh, on the cutting edge to to go and and reach and, and and to intervene on behalf of these kids who unfortunately their lives are headed towards such social poverty, such physical poverty, and ultimately such spiritual poverty. And so as we defend the fatherless, many times we think of the young, we think of the, the toddler, we think of the baby, we think of the orphan that's in an orphanage or a child that's in foster care. But we must also think of these kids have that their whole life is informed by being an orphan, by being fatherless, by being in foster care. And they really have no opportunity to see past uh, to see past that lifestyle. And so just would want to invite you, please do, as always, email us at info at lifelinechild.org to learn more information. We can also connect you to Aaron or to anyone uh, that can help you and your church onboard Heritage Builders or learn how you can be a part even of this vibrant and much needed ministry arm at Lifeline. And then you can always visit us at lifelinechild.org to find more information. So uh, for Dr. Rick and for Aaron and I, we thank you and we pray that the Lord would move in your heart and your church's heart to see how you can get engaged for those who are aging out of foster care. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. For more information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit herbienewell.com. Follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.